So this past summer, I was at Rita's. You, you guys all know what Rita's is. Beautiful, um, beautiful, wonderful Rita's. And you get your cherry mistos. That's what I always get, a cherry misto. I don't like the cherry flakes in it, though. I wish they would just do away with that. It would be the perfect little drink. Uh, the cherry misto. I was wearing a Restoration Church t-shirt, and so I, I do this often. It's like my entire wardrobe is Restoration Church uh, gear. Uh, and so I was, I was, yeah, they're all available right here, by the way, in multiple colors if you'd like some. Uh, I, was, I was talking to the, the lady who was checking me out, and she happened to notice my Restoration Church t-shirt. She starts asking me about church and Christianity, and so I was having, able to have a conversation uh, with her about all these great topics. And, and she was like, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't go to church. I'm not a Christian. Uh, and so I was able to ask her why, and we were able to talk about that a little bit. And she said, well, you know, the, the main reason? Christians are hypocrites. And so I just, I don't like, the, I don't like uh, what Christianity is about. It seems hypocritical to me. And uh, I'm going to tell you what my response to that was at the end of this message. Um, but it, she's, she's not alone in that. 85% of non-churchgoers believe that Christians are hypocritical. And so that's usually what most people think when they think of the church, when they think of Christians, they think hypocrites. Not only that, 47% of those within the church think the church is hypocritical. Okay? So we're, we're kind of believing that in ourselves. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. You know, in Jesus' day, hypocrisy was a term that the common man was unfamiliar with. It was a term that wasn't often used in Jesus' day. It was a special term with the specialized context of the theater. And so only thespians used the, th- the term hypocrite. It was a word referring to actors on stage who played one character in one scene and then took off the mask and played another character in a completely different scene. And so the same person was playing two different people. They would often wear masks to distinguish character from character. It only made sense. So hypocrisy came a term for a mask that covered up the real person. Hypocrisy was about wearing a mask to cover up the real person. There is an outer facade that presents something different than what is inside. Or the way that I present myself to the outside world is different than who I actually and truly am. In classical Greek, this wasn't an offensive term, though. Right? It was a term that was used in the theater, and it was just stating what was hap- happening and what was taking place. It wasn't an offensive term. They were intentionally playing the role that wasn't truly them. That's what actors do. Right? Every single actor is intentionally playing a role that isn't truly them. It wasn't an ethical term. It wasn't a religious term. It was never mentioned in the context of religion. It was Jesus, of all people, who brought this term, hypocrisy, in to the ethical sphere and into religion. And he critiqued religious hypocrisy in a way that shaped history. He brought this term and ideas to characterize the condition of an inner person as opposed to what was presented on the outside. There was a contradiction between the inner person and the outside presentation. And so he brought this term to define that. Jesus knew regarding all people that there was a public me that was visible to everybody. It was a public me that was visible to everybody, and we spend a lot of time grooming and managing the public me that is displayed to the world. We spend a lot of time making sure that our hair looks exactly right, and that, and that we are presentable, and that the clothes we wear match, and the cars we drive, and the things that we do that present who we are to the outside world. We spend a lot of time managing and grooming that so that we will be presented in the most desirable way. But there's also a private me. There's also an inner me that, that, we, that we only take out behind closed doors and we don't let a lot of people see. It's not visible to the outside world. And so when that person walks away, for instance, then the real me comes out. Or when I leave the party, then I begin sharing what's really on my mind about those people. Or when I leave that work interview, then my native tongue begins to speak. Then the foul language comes out. Then... I begin to speak like I normally do. 
when I get home from picking up my kids from school, then my real parenting techniques come out. It's not in the hallway among all the other parents picking up their kids and smiling and celebrating what their day was like. Then the real parenting comes out when I get home. After the company leaves, then my spouse and I treat each other like we actually feel towards each other. The outside me is presented in a way that is different than the inside me. And so one day Jesus was talking with a number of the teachers around a table of food. This is often the context by which Jesus had a lot of these really in-depth conversations. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law noticed that Jesus' disciples, the people that had followed Jesus, were not washing their hands before the meal. And this is ceremoniously unclean, and therefore they were defiled. And so the religious teachers and the Pharisees brought this up to Jesus. Jesus, do you know that your disciples aren't washing their hands before they eat? Before they eat? And in response to this, and in reference to the religious teachers who brought this up to Jesus, Jesus quotes from the prophet Isaiah. He says, these people honor me, these religious teachers honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their lips speak honor to me, but their hearts are far from me. Therefore, they worship me in vain. And so Jesus provides a little bit of commentary on this, and he concludes by saying, Listen to me, everybody. Understand how important this is. Everyone, listen to me. Understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality and theft and murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside and they defile a person. It's not what's on the outside that defiles us, that makes us unclean. It's what comes from the inside, the heart. And so Jesus said the private you, it's not the you that is uh, in front of the public eye. It's the you that is concealed. That is what matters most. That is what matters most, the private us. It's not the outside or the way that it is presented. It is all about the heart. So Jesus said the condition of the heart is the primary emphasis on human goodness. This is Jesus' teaching about human goodness, that it's all about your heart. It's all about your heart. And so this teaching launched a revolution in the ancient world. Man, nobody was talking this way. Nobody had brought this condition of the heart up into the central focus in Jesus' day. The human race had always been concerned with what makes a person good, but it had always been assumed that if you looked the part, then it must be true of you. If you looked the part, then it must be true of you. And so every society had moral codes, but their morality was not rooted in religion. The gods didn't make laws in other religions. The gods did not confront the people with what it meant to be truly human or a good person. They did not make laws because the gods would have been the greatest offenders of all the laws that they would have made. They were the ones who were breaking all of the laws, and so they did not give a standard for humanity about what it meant to be human. The gods weren't concerned for humanity's welfare. They were selfish, and they were greedy, and they used people to their own ends. And so as long as the gods got what they wanted, they didn't care how humans behaved. They didn't care about the condition of humanity's heart. As long as the gods got what they wanted, they did not care, and so they did not present humanity with an ethical code. It was Israel and the God of Yahweh and the God of the Jews who introduced ethical monotheism, that there was one God who actually was concerned with our heart. There was one God who was concerned with the way that we lived. There was one God who was concerned that we were a people created in his image and that we lived as a people created in his image and that if we were not living in his image and living in the way that he designed us and created us, then we were not living rightly. It was the one God of Judaism who introduced this. You see, many people looked at the outward appearance of their life and they patted themselves on the back thinking that they were doing a really good job, but Jesus is concerned with the inner life. It's not the way that you present yourself to the world. Jesus is concerned with the inner life. 
And this is why hypocrisy is so vivid in his teaching. And so it's appropriate that Jesus, the one person who lived a perfect life, right, the one person who had no hypocrisy within him, was the one who pointed it out time and time again where he saw it. When it came to one particular group of people, he called it out all of the time. So in Matthew's gospel, there are four accounts of Jesus' life in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so in Matthew's account of Jesus' life, he records Jesus of speaking to the religious leaders of his day. And he begins all of these conversations with this phrase, woe to you. Woe to you, you teachers of the law and you Pharisees. Woe to you. Jesus is saying that the greatest, the greatest judgment of God and the greatest punishment of God is reserved for this. Woe to you. This is the greatest form of divine judgment. It's not just that trouble is coming. Trouble is coming in the form of divine judgment. And so Jesus begins, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law, and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs. Woe to you, teachers of the law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You snakes, you brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? That's hard teaching. And I'm struck that Jesus used his most strongest warnings of judgment and hell not as warnings against people aimed at, in, at, at outside the church, not at the, the non-believers, but at those who are inside the faith and inside the church. I'm struck of the courage of this man. I mean, no, no wonder these people wanted to kill him. No wonder these people pursued him to their death or to his death. He used images and arguments common to his day to communicate and Uh, to help them understand exactly what this life of the inner life was all about. And so this unclean cup, for example, it wasn't about washing dishes. He used uh, an idea common in their day to describe the inner life. And so it was in the Mishnah. The Mishnah was this book of the compilation. Uh, All the rabbis would come together and they uh, they would discuss what it meant to follow the law. And all of these teachings were compiled into this book and they called it the Mishnah. And so it's in the Mishnah that the rabbis came and said, all utensils, all utensils, all cups, all dishes have an inside and an outside. So Jesus was using a well-known ritual to point to its deeper meaning, that all people have an inside and all people have an outside. But it is the inside of a person that most concerns God. And so think of this, uh, think of this wonderful little Christmas bucket right here. It's pleasant on the outside to look at. It was at one point filled with popcorn. So would you guys eat popcorn from this bucket? All right, it, it, looks, it looks beautiful, right? It looks lovely. It's presented very nicely. It's even got some Christmas themes and some Christmas colors. See, what makes this analogy of Jesus so powerful is that the purpose of a cup doesn't concern the outside of the dish. The purpose of a bucket doesn't concern the outside, right? It really just concerns the inside. 
All the outside is show, right? I mean, they decorated this, this bucket with the Christmas spectacular, and they filled it with popcorn, and they said, hey, you want, some little kid is going to walk past this, and they're going to tug on their parents' their parents' jacket, and they say, hey, mommy and daddy, get me in that colorful bucket full of popcorn. And they're going to be like, all right, we're going to make some money off of this thing. They presented this outside, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful, but it really what's in the inside is what matters. This could be perfectly plain, right? This could be a simple white bucket, and it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't change the taste of the popcorn. So would you guys eat popcorn out of this? Would you eat popcorn knowing that this is the bucket that my children throw up in? <laughs> this is our throw-up bucket at home? <laughs> Would you eat popcorn out of this bucket knowing my daughter Sophia threw up in this bucket five days ago? <laughs> Why? Right? Because the inside is what matters. It doesn't matter that the outside is beautiful. You still wouldn't eat popcorn out of this because you know it's my kid's throw-up bucket. Changes everything, right? The outside can be as beautiful as it possibly can, but it's what's inside that really matters. And so according to Jesus, hypocrisy is not just the failure to live up to what we aspire to do. Everybody does that. Everybody fails to live up to our standard. Everybody has sinned. Everybody has fallen short. Nobody lives up to the standard that we are called to. The core of hypocrisy is deception. The core of hypocrisy is deception. It is the mean-spirited and the selfish, although sometimes unconscious, unconscious deception. It's knowing that we are full of junk and chaos on the inside, but it's presenting ourselves in a way that does not reflect that. It's the messed up inside of the cup that is simply fallenness. This is true of everybody. The inside of the dish, the inside of the bucket, that is fallenness. It is true of everybody. It's the washed-up outside that marks hypocrisy. It's the covering up. It's presenting ourselves in a way that's not true of what's on the inside. And so why don't we just leave the whole cup dirty? Why don't we just leave the whole bucket dirty? Why do we insist on washing up the outside when we know the inside is full of rotten and broken and chaotic things? Well, it's because I want you to respect me. And I want you to accept me, and I want to be embraced, and I want to be part of a community. And so we think that we need to wash up the outside and present ourselves in a way that's going to be accepted. That's going to be liked and going to be respected. If they knew what I was really like, if they knew what was truly going on in my heart, and they knew what was truly going on in my mind, then they wouldn't respect me, then they wouldn't like me, then they wouldn't embrace me. And so I need to present myself differently. I need to keep up a good front. I deceive you to think to make you think that I'm actually a better person than I am. And so I hide my secret dislike for you behind a polite smile. And I pretend to help you when I'm actually hoping that you fail. Or I portray myself as loving when inside I'm full of judgment and selfishness. Or I celebrate my kids when I pick them up from preschool, but really I just think they're kind of an annoyance. Or my spouse and I hold hands in the mall when really we can't stand each other. See, the outside of the cup, it washes up really well, right? Man, we put on that show really well. We put on the facade and we paint on the veneer and it washes up really well. Good impressions are so easy to make. But good impressions are so exhausting to make. Remember back to that first day, if you've ever gone on a first date? Remember back to that first date and, and how much time you spent in front of that mirror primping and prodding and make sure that every hair was in place and all the makeup for you ladies is put on exactly how you want it to be displayed and you spent all that time picking out that outfit, and, and then you sat down at dinner, and you were careful with every single word that came out of your mouth. And you were so diligent to make sure that the jokes that you were telling were not too, you know, over the top, but they were just funny enough. You spent every, so much effort and energy communicating exactly how you wanted to be portrayed. 
You're hesitant, to, you're hesitant to admit that what you really hope you were doing on that Friday night was sitting at home in your pajamas, eating a half gallon of ice cream, watching a movie. That's really what you're hoping to be doing then. But you know, that doesn't scream of success. That doesn't scream a lot of meaning and purpose in your life. And so you're hesitant to say, share that. Y- you know, you, know you, you, keep, you keep what's hidden hidden and you let what's really great about you portrayed and displayed. Think of the thought and the energy and the money we put into how we're going to be perceived. And for so, money, it's all, for so many of us, it's all just a show. It's all just a show. It's all just the way that we portray. Think of the lengths we go to to cover up our sin, trying to convince ourselves and others that we are better than we are. We feel this immense guilt or the shame, right, for the wrongs that we've committed. And so we try to cover it up with religion. We try to cover it up with ritual. And we try to cover it up by coming to more church services or we give more money away or we volunteer in more opportunities. And we do all of these things to cover up, to make the world think that we're actually okay, that we're actually doing all right. We're really inside. We're just falling apart and we are a wreck and we are a mess. But I can't let the world know that. Because they won't respect me and they won't like me and they won't accept me. Now, that's not certainly true of all of us, but I know it's been true of me at points in my life, that I've put on a good front so that people will think higher of me than I really am. And it was a fact, in fact, it was a great revolution in religious history when the Jewish and the Christians introduced a God who saw past the veneer and saw past the outward performance and the outward presentation, who could look beyond all of that straight into the human conscience and straight down into the human heart. David said this, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You perceive my thoughts from afar. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I say, well, surely the darkness will hide me. I can conceal under the darkness. I I, I can hide who I truly am under the darkness. Well, Well, no, I can't. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. We can't. God sees through all of it. He sees through the facade and the veneer. And the way we present ourselves straight into the human conscience and straight into the human heart. God sees behind the mask and he sees behind the cover-up. We are always exposed before God. Therefore, becoming a good person as opposed to just looking the part, having an inner heart and an inner life that is truly good instead of just presenting it as good does not begin with performing the right behavior. We can't just wash up the outside of the cup. We can't just wash up the outside of the cup. God sees beyond the outside performance. It rather begins with an openness to the truth. An openness to the truth about the mess that is in my inner being and the mess about who I truly am and what's really going inside my heart and what's really going on inside of my brain. Instead of trying to paint on pride, we need to embrace humility, in other words. We need to sit. We need to listen to the inner conscience. We need to take a deep breath because, my friends, it's going to be okay. And embrace who you truly are deep on the inside. It's going to be okay. You need to say, Jesus, I own this and I claim it and I believe it and I stand on this truth that I am a mess on the inside. That my heart is tainted and it is broken and I get that, Father, please, I understand this. I know that I present myself as being put all together. You know, I know I present myself in a, in a way that's going to have people like me and care for me and accept me. I know I try to put on that veneer and put on that display and put on that show, but really what's going on inside is a mess, and this is true of me, and I cannot any longer try to put on the exhausting display that it is. I'm not okay today. I'm not okay today. I can't keep living this double life. I can't keep pretending. And Jesus said, you know what? The truth will set you free. And if you embrace who you truly are, and you're okay with that, and if you say, God, I really, here's who I truly am, 
that the truth will begin to set you free. And why? Why is this the case? Well, imagine that you go to a doctor, and the doctor looks at you, and he looks you over, and he says, wow, you know, you are a phenomenal specimen of a human being. Man, you're in such great health. There is no concerns whatsoever. Go and live your life. You're going to live for a very long time. You should even be congratulated because you are a specimen. And then you go home later that day and you're walking up the, the stairs that you have in your home and your heart gives out on you. Why? Because, well, your arteries are actually clogged and you're about one jelly donut away from, from death. And uh, so you're walking up those stairs and you're like, why did I just have a heart attack? I just came from the doctor. You said I was a specimen. I should be congratulated. What's going on here? You go back to your doctor and say, why didn't you tell me the truth. Why don't you speak truth into my life? And the doctor would say, well, you know what? I really want people to like me, and I really want people to, uh, to accept me, and I want people to come back, and I need their business, and so I can't, I can't speak too much truth into people's lives, because then they'll never come back, and they won't like me. They won't like my prognosis or my diagnosis, and so I got to keep some of that stuff hidden. You'd say, when it comes to my health, when it comes to my life, I want the truth. I want the truth. You'd be furious. You see, the only way that truth is enslaving is if it is graceless. A doctor could have said, yeah, you know what? You are a horrible, horrible human. All you do is sit around. Have you ever gotten off the couch in your life? Man, have you ever eaten anything other than a bag of potato chips? He could have just drilled that into you and shamed you and guilted you and you would have felt horrible and you would have walked away. But he could have come along and said, you know what? Your health isn't all that great. And there are some things that you need to change in your life. And if you get to this point, then I, here is what I am seeing for you. You could have a heart attack. You could die. But if you make these changes, and I'm willing to help you make these changes, and I want to embrace you as you make these changes, and I want to help you so that you can become healthier, then that is a grace-filled embrace. It's not condemning or shaming. He is helping on this journey. The only way that truth is enslaving is if it is graceless. And here's why that is the truth, the, the case. Because truth strips us down and it always leaves us exposed. Right? And this is precisely why so few people are willing to embrace the truth. This is why we create masks and this is why we pretend to be people that we aren't. Because if I am exposed before people, then man, all of my sin and all of my shame is going to be exposed. And, and people are going to think of me differently and they're not going to accept me and they're not going to embrace me and they're not going to like me and they're not going to respect me. And so I keep it all hidden. I'm not going to expose all that because I'm fearful of what people will say about me. But what if in exposure we weren't mocked? And what if in exposure we weren't condemned and we weren't shamed? What if in laying bare all of the insecurities that we try to cover up and the anger and the hurt and the guilt and the fear that we try to burrow away, what if there was another truth? What if in our weaknesses we began to see God's strength and only in our weaknesses were we able to see God's strength? What if in our exposure we recognize our true covering? What if only in our exposure and the laying bare of who we actually are and, and the confessing and to say, okay, I'm not going to put on the veneer any longer. I'm not going to put on the dance and the show. I'm actually going to lay bare who I truly am. What if in our insecurity and our sin being exposed and the man-made coverings when they are stripped away, can we actually and only truly begin to realize that we are already covered by God's grace? What if... You know, for some reason, we've developed this notion that we need to be perfect, but we're not perfect, and so we try to cover it up. I know the standard. I don't meet the standard, and so let me pretend that I meet the standard so that everybody will like me, that everybody will know me. And we hold this impossible standard above us, and it becomes crippling and exhausting, and it induces all sorts of anxiety. Rich Mullins, a worship leader, said this, I never understood why going to church made you a hypocrite. 
Because nobody goes to church because they're perfect. If you've got it all together, you don't have to go. You can go jogging with all the other perfect people on Sunday morning. Every time you go to church, you're confessing again to yourself, to your family, to the people you pass on the way there, to the people who will greet you there, that you don't have it all together and that you need their support, you need their direction, you need some accountability, you need some help. Grace, grace, amazing grace. What if in laying bare and being honest and and tearing down the veneer and the facade, what if and only in that can we actually begin to realize that we are covered by God's grace? You see, without honesty regarding who we are, without the truth, we will always deny God's grace because we are actually convincing ourselves that we don't need it. And if I present myself to the world as someone who is great, then I'm convincing myself that I do not need God's grace and maybe that I'm also embarrassed and ashamed of God's grace. But if you embrace the truth of your sinfulness and lay it out exposed, then you too will realize it is actually already covered up. All of your sin is already covered up by God's grace. It is not covered up by this man-made effort that is exhausting, this effort-driven perfection, but it is covered up by God's amazing grace. I'm going to invite Emily and Rachel forward, and we're going to sing one final song as we conclude our service together. You know, I try to be a really courteous driver when I'm out on the road. Um, and so this past week, I, uh, I was at what I thought was a four-way stop, and I, I turned left then. It was my turn to go. I turned left, but there was a car coming to me from the right, and they didn't have a stop sign, and so I cut right in front of this guy. And what goes through my mind was, oh, crap, I have a Restoration Church bumper sticker on this car. <laughs> That's what I begin to think, right? I begin to think, oh, man, really? Okay, I'm just reinforcing that Christians are just bad drivers. <laughs> really? Okay. I'm reinforcing that Christians are hypocritical. I'm reinforcing that Christians don't have it all together, that we're not perfect. For some reason, Christianity has taught the world that we are perfect, and when in fact we are merely forgiven, right? That's all the difference between us and the non-Christians, is that we recognize that we are sinners and we need forgiveness. It is this grace that has begun a perfecting work in us, and so nobody has fulfilled this perfection in them, but, but we're all striving after that. And so here's the thing, when I was at the Rita's, you know, this past summer, and this woman uh, is asking me, he's like, yeah, I don't go to church, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not a Christian because Christians are just hypocritical. I said, yeah, <laughs> amen. I agree, absolutely that is true. If you were just figuring out that the church is full of hypocrites, what took you so long? Really, what took you so long? Man, we, we preach love, and yet, Man, we don't love all the time, right? We, we preach this perfect love, and yet we don't love each other constantly, and, and we are some of the great offenders of, of hatred, unfortunately, upon the earth. We, we preach gentleness with one another and, and kindness, and yet we're still speaking harshly and hatred towards each other, yet we fly off the handle, and yet we preach patience. We're not perfect. We, we talk about the standard, and we talk about what it means to be rightly human, and we talk about what it means to follow Christ, and yet none of us live up to it. None of us do. Does that make us hypocritical? That we preach a standard, and yet we don't live it out? Paul said in his letter to the Romans, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. I have the desire to do good, but I cannot carry it out, for... I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. 
What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? I recognize that I'm not right. I recognize I don't live up to the standard that I'm calling to live. Should I just cover it up? Should I just pretend to the world that, that I do actually live up to the standard? I recognize that I fail constantly. Should I just put on the veneer? Should I just put on the facade? Should I just wear the mask and present myself to the world in a way that's not truly who I am? Should I just pretend that I'm all right when, re- when in reality I'm just a mess inside? Should I just try hard to make a good impression so that I'm respected and so that people will like me? What will save me from this body of death? Will it just the cover-up do? Will the facade do? He continues, no. But thanks be to God, right? None of that facade works. None of the masking works. None of the presentation works. But thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord, even though I am a sinner. Thanks be to God who has delivered me because why he is gracious. He looks at my sin and he does not condemn me. He looks at my sin and he says, I will cover you with grace. Exposing our hearts to God and to a community who loves us might feel intimidating. I get that. It might be scary. It might be frightening to you, but it is the only way that we'll ever discover that God's grace only meets us where we are. And not only that, but it carries us forward. 